You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. And we're back because we skipped last week. We did. How do you feel about that? Not going to talk about not going to talk about it, honestly. Not... That's the first podcast we've missed in all the years doing all, this podcast. All the years, a lot of years. Many a year, but we're, we're back and I'm happy to be back and super excited for today's topic because we're talking about gender and sex and we're going to be joined by Dr. Candice Nicole, who is an award-winning associate professor of counseling psychology, a sexologist. They work at the University of Kentucky where she studies sexual wellness and liberation and she hosts multiple podcasts herself. She's published over 50 research articles. You probably have seen her in Cosmo, the New York Times and the like. And she's here to help us break down how considering the possibility of redefining gender can lead to happier relationships and hotter sex. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Candace. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Dr. Jess. It's so good to be here with you. And tell us, what are you working on these days? Girl, (laughs) (laughs) trying to get this book proposal accepted by an agent. So that is the word. Can you tell us anything about the book? Can you tease a little? Okay, here's a little teaser. So... It's going to be about sexual liberation and how these systems of oppression try to fuck it up. (sighs) And why sex? Why? I mean, they're attacking everything, but why sex in particular? Like what, what is it about sex that lets systems exert greater control? I don't, I don't even know if it's greater control. I just think it's an area where we haven't examined how capitalism and racism and sexism and heterosexism and elitism and all that stuff gets in the way of good sex. Yeah. And when you say all of those things, I think about performance and I think about Mm. pressure and I think about roles, which is really why you're here today to help us break down gender roles. And I think when people think about gender inequality, they might think about income, they might think about politics, they might think about, you know, a number of topics that they see as politicized, but it all boils down to every area of our lives, including sex, love, relationships. Uh, Let's talk more broadly how does gender inequality harm folks of all genders, right? I think sometimes, you know, in some of the modern conversations, it really becomes about men versus women, but gender inequality, sexism, misogyny, as it ties in with every layer of oppression, harms everybody. It's not good for anybody. Mm -hmm. So I really love the way you broke it down where it's not just about like how it harms women, which it does, but it really comes down to the rigidity and the flexibility in your gender roles. Rigidity and flexibility make the difference between how constricted people feel in their sex lives and how open and liberated they feel in their sex lives. And the behaviors could very much be the same, but if you're living to these scripts of really rigid gender roles, there's such a narrow window of what men can be, such a narrow window of women can be. And then if you live outside of that, there are social sanctions. And that can be painful. It can be humiliating. It can be shameful, even if it's healthy behavior, behavior that you enjoy. And so we can get into what some of those sex roles are, what some of those narrow, really rigid scripts are, and how you can break them down a little bit for yourself. You know, when I think about gender roles, I have the feeling, and I may not be correct, but I have the feeling that for women, there's a little bit more flexibility. And I think with every layer of privilege, there's more flexibility. I think about all the ways that I'm allowed to engage in roles that are traditionally masculine. And in fact, in many cases, I'm rewarded for being more masculine in those areas, whereas maybe you may not be. But I'm curious why you think 
women have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to gender roles than men? Or, and maybe you disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I just think that what we have to contend with as women looks different than what men have to contend with. So it's not that we we have it easier or men have it harder or men have it easier, women have it harder. It really is that sometimes men, because they have the power in these systems, are policing each other. And so what they get to do is as open as what anyone gets to do. But what are the consequences? What are the consequences in the type of friendships you get to have, the way your peers pick on you, tease you, play with you if it's on the light end or the violence that some men have to deal with when they transgress these gender roles. Whereas for women, sometimes it can look like isolation or being objectified or dehumanized, but the violence typically, like that that violent male policing happens in different ways with women. So there are like ways to be a good girl and a good wife and a, you know, and a good friend and a mom petition, right? Like this is the best motherhood version. We still have to deal with all of that as well. Yeah, and when we think about that from a, a socio-structural systemic perspective, it's one thing, but it trickles down into every area of our lives, including mm-hmm our sex lives. So I want you to talk a little bit about how strict gender roles hold us back when it comes to sex and relationships. Yeah. Let's start with the easiest is like who initiates, (laughs) who initiates the sexual encounter. And the way we have those really tiny, narrow gender roles is that men are supposed to initiate all the time and women are supposed to receive all the time. And so if a woman desires sex and she initiates, then that means that she's doing too much or she's acting outside of her character. If a man doesn't want to initiate but wants to be desired, then he's weak or, you know, he's not powerful enough. And sometimes women can perpetuate these stereotypes as well. So we get stuck in these these dynamics where it's like, well, it's your job. And if you didn't say anything about it, then we're not going to have sex. As opposed to, well, there's a time when I want sex as a woman, I can ask for it. There's a time where you want sex as a man, you can ask for it. And then we both have the option to say yes or no. So when we think about the initiation part, we also think about who gets to say no to sex. A lot of the men that I work with in my research and in my practice are often like, I want to feel like I get to say no. And right now I don't feel that way because I feel like either... I'm going to be shamed for saying no or called gay for saying no. Not that there's anything wrong with that as an identity either, but because of the way sexual orientation is or identity is policed, a lot of men feel afraid of that. Or I feel like I'm never going to get it again if I say no, I'm going to be punished. Ah, yeah. And and that really speaks to gender roles because mm-hmm. I've talked about this before. I think so much of our socio-cultural sexual capital for women is mm-hmm. located in being wanted. So yes. it's not so much that we feel we have to sit back. It's that many of us can't even get turned on unless someone first expresses a desire for us. And that's a really, it's a dangerous dynamic in most relationships. Of course, somebody's going to say we're the exception. One of us likes to do all the initiating. Cool. In the thousands of relationships that you and I look at, we see how the dynamic of one person being tasked with the onus of always initiating sex, we Mm. see what it does to sexual frequency, to sexual satisfaction, to sexual confidence, because that also means that the person who does all the initiating is also burdened with the potential of rejection. Rejection, yes. Right? And we don't know how to manage rejection, especially as it intersects with gender. (laughs) So, you know, if women's sociocultural sexual capital is located in being desired, for men, that same experience is oftentimes rooted in being having the prowess, having the skill, being able to get 
the girl. And we can see, I mean, listen, we see that the most obvious thing is that people stop having sex because sexual initiation becomes one-sided because that one person mm-hmm. who's always initiating honestly gets tired of being rejected. And because for my clients, because I'm working with a lot of folks who have a lot of power in life, mm-hmm. they want to feel the power of being desired. And they're able yes. to say, I want to be wanted. Like this is why when I get attention from someone else, it feels good because back home, I... I'm begging for it. I'm begging for I'm begging for them to say yes because there's the layers of oh some women feel they need to give a little bit of resistance and and I want to be clear I'm not making excuses for people cheating or doing things that transgress the you know boundaries of whatever relationships you've negotiated but there's there's a lot here and you bring up probably like you said the most obvious thing is in initiation. So if that's one tiny thing, so it could be initiation, it could be not wanting to try certain things, it could be... But you spoke about desirability, and I think that hits home for so many people, especially when you give the dynamic of like, who's powerful outside of the home? We think about what intimate justice looks like in the home. It's like people who have the most power outside of the home want to come home and sometimes sub out, you know, like I want to be the sub, I want to be the person that receives and, you know, like that is a, that feels desirable and not for what I can do or who I am in the world or how much money I have, all of these other categories, but just because I am. And if you get into those gender politics of initiation then it does then decrease the amount of energy a person had. If you initiated all the tasks you had to do for work all day long, like did it balled out, you know, you just thrived and then you get home. It's like, that's it. That initiation energy could be gone. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'll say, I think I struggle with that. Not because I do more at work. Brandon definitely does as much as I do, but I think both of us can arrive at the end of the day feeling decision fatigue. Like we are just making every decision, making every kind of initiating every process. And if it only fell in one of our laps, it could get tiring. Now, I'll admit we are not 50-50 because nothing in life is. Look at Brandon shaking his head. He's like, no, we're not 50. What, what number would you give us? Who initiates? It depend- well, it depends on the task that we're talking about because there are different no elements. Initiating. Oh, initiating sex? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say right now I'm. it's tilted in I do 65 I think. I think you're giving me more credit. I think he's giving me more credit. I think he's just being nice here. (laughs) Plus 20%. Okay. (laughs) Plus five and five. Um, Now, if you contract with your partner, that's, I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't do enough of, which is sexual communication. It's something that you talk about in your work all the time. It's like, if you and your partner contract around like, this is how much initiation works for me, how much works for you, where's our middle ground and the middle ground is not 50-50, cool, right? If it's like, no, 80-20 works very well for us, then cool. Well, and I I think that you'd probably like me to initiate more. Is that true or false? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do enjoy when you initiate and I would like you to initiate more, but I also understand that this is fluid. The way things are Mm -hmm. today is not the way things were uh, six months ago or maybe completely different in a year from now. But right now, it's fine. It's cool. I'm doing, and we both win. (laughs) We get it in. So we're done. (laughs) It's happening. Uh, And I mean, the advantage is that we're able to talk about it. Actually, it's interesting that we're going to talk a little bit about breaking down our notions of gender so that we can enjoy better sex because many of our gender roles in this relationship are completely reversed. I am the one on the road, away from the home, deriving a huge amount of thrill and passion and honestly, feelings of of power and confidence from my work, right? And Brennan, you know, was doing that and now he's winding down, kind of exiting his business and we're going to see some changes. Does it feel freeing though, Brandon, to be like, I'm winding down? (laughs) 
Yeah, it does. It, it definitely yes. does. There, but there's a, there's a piece too, where there's a little anxiety there as well, yeah. right? Making yeah. sure everything goes smoothly, but yes. <laughs> so I want to talk about how we break down our notions of gender so that we can enjoy better sex. And I know that you, you have kind of have a five-step process. And I was reading through the notes that you sent in advance and Brandon actually kind of got started on the notes. Ooh. I did not because I'm the worst student and the worst client ever. <laughs> Every therapist nightmare. Did you do your homework? No. No. Here are the 19 reasons why. <laughs> but if you could walk us through, I don't know if you want to go step one to five or just start with the first one and then Brandon can share with you what he's come up with. Oh, yes, absolutely. So the first one is write down everything you've been taught about being a real man or a real woman. Of course, this is heteronormative, like cis. So I just want to name that there. But each partner should write down their own list for both genders. So if you're thinking about you and your partner in that context, what did you learn about being a real man? If you're a man, what do you learn about being a real woman if you're a woman? And then what did you think your partner was supposed to bring to that gender roles too? Oh, am I supposed to answer right now? You is, can is, if is you it? want okay. to. You get so, to consent into answering. I, yes, and I do consent into answering because I, you know I love getting put on the spot here. So, and again, remembering that this is what I had to remember. This is what I learned about what it was to be a real man. I'm not saying I subscribe to this. Right. So a real man works. He works and he earns money. I don't know why he also speaks with a deep voice. He does. Yes. <laughs> He's Batman. He's also Batman. He fixes things. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm not doing well so far. The fix it. I'm down for sure. He drinks. He plays sports. He wants sex all the time. He shows little emotion. He has a small group of friends. He's a disciplinarian when it comes to um, the children. He may travel for work. Uh, he works out and is strong because he's Batman and he's tough. I just, you know, shortlist there. And on um, when I think about what I learned uh, for women, that they also work, interesting, but they manage the household. They have a Both. large, they have a large group of friends, and they socialize often with their friends. They have a lot of hobbies. They do crafts. No, just kidding. They don't do crafts. <laughs> no, uh, no, that was more. Is, is that one for? They do crafts. They don't want sex as much. Uh, they're more emotional. They're more sensitive and caring. And they also, I mean, they manage the household, they manage the children's schedules and, and calendars and things like that. So that's kind of where I stopped. Uh-oh. So I am the least real woman ever because I don't, I don't manage the kids. I barely manage the household. Show me that list again. What else is on there? Um, I do socialize a lot. I don't have a lot of hobbies because my hobby is working. You're not good at crafts. I'm terrible at crafts. I hate crafts. Same, Don't like shopping. I think I'm emotional, but I think if we had to choose one of us who's more emotional, I think we'd both pick you. I am more emotional <laughs> because Batman is also emotional. I do think I'm sensitive and caring, but so are you. And yeah, so I don't really check the boxes. Oh, and doesn't want sex much. I would like sex much, please. <laughs> much is the <laughs> amount of time, <laughs> the amount and the frequency with which I would like sex. Okay, so he's made these lists. So that's step number one. Yes. This is a great so exercise. You... I just want to say thank you because I think there's such value. Some people can go to therapy. Some people can go to a retreat. And a lot of people can't. And so mm -hmm. to be able to give people actionable tools that they can try imperfect tools right like this could lead to a fight i just think it's so incredibly valuable and i think there it's a very small percentage of professionals who are able to put this together so thank you so number one we're making the list 
All right, so you're making the list and I really appreciate the point, Dr. Chess, about the type of trust you have to have and humor and like uh, reciprocity in your relationship to even do this activity. And everybody knows what their relationship dynamics look like. So proceed with caution. <laughs> number two, <laughs> number two, you're gonna circle the things from that list that are congruent with your own values and then discuss why they matter to you. But am I only circling? they affirm you. Sorry to interrupt. Am I only circling the things because I'm I, I'm a man? Do I I only circle things on the list for men, or can no, I circle on both? Circle lists? the ones that are like I Ooh, love this. Okay, great. In a partner, and these are the things that I really do buy into. Like they, I value them not just because they're scripts that are popular. Well, and it's interesting because you can see how working with a therapist or a counselor, or just a community of support around these, could be really helpful mm -hmm. because a lot of this will be drawn from your caregiver experience, yes. right? So if my mother did something, I might either be very drawn to her doing that or maybe with, you know, some sort of antagonism or hurt, I might actually want the exact opposite. Mm. Oh, that's powerful. Okay. So I've, I've now circled some things on my list. Now do I have to, what do I get to do next? Okay. So what are the things that do align with you and why do they matter? How do they affirm you? You get to discuss those. So I don't, I don't know if we have enough time to really delve into my right. psyche because we'd be here and people would, would be very afraid. I, I think it's important Here's for me. One. Yeah, yep. I, I think it's important. I'll, I'll, I'll share a couple. I think it's important for me to, to work. And I think it's important for me to also earn money to contribute. <laughs> I, I do enjoy playing sports. I do want to want to have the sex. I don't know that I, I don't subscribe to wanting it all the time, but I do want it. I want to be emotional and I want to be sensitive and caring. And I'm sure I could yes. make... You know, I could I could go into more detail, but so you circled from both sides. Yes, I circled from both sides, both mm -hmm. the, the men and the women, and um, yeah, I mean, it's like even this right now. There's so much that I feel like we could we could like have such a great conversation around these topics. Like, why do I want to be emotional? I'm like, you know, growing up, yes. I don't think I wanted. I, I think I just learned, you know, you be tough and and you hold your emotions inside. And and now that I'm older, I realize how bad that is, like how detrimental that is to to who and it I am. It sucks on the inside too. Oh, like it, it just hurts. doesn't feel good. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. So yeah, I want to be emotional. I don't mean I want to cry over toilet paper, you know, commercials all the time, but I want to be emotional. I want to be sensitive. I want to be caring. I, I, I want to work. I want to earn money. I think those things are important. I, I like sports. I mean, I also don't mind having a small group of friends, but I'd like to socialize more with them. I'm not worried about having a lot of crafts because, <laughs> because I'm not good. So what do we run into here? So I didn't do my list. I mean, we're also 20 years into a relationship. We bend a lot of gender. Mm -hmm. We are open to these types of conversations and we have similar types of conversations often, although we've never done anything like this. And I think it's super useful. What do you run into when couples start to navigate these conversations? People feel, even if it's not coming from a place of blame, blamed if they're not able to realize their partner's idea of the other gender or of their, whatever their partner's gender is. And so when the next part is explore other ways of getting or experiencing these things that you would like your partner to do, you didn't, we didn't quite get to that place yet. But I like what you did around this, where you said, these are the aspects a real man or a real woman that work for me across gender. Like, I think that's an adaptation I would actually make where it's like, I want to have deeper relationships with my friends. I want to have access to my emotional world and what that looks like and expressing it like that. I really like that adaptation to it. So if you were both to do it, then you could say, 
these are the things that you like or would like in a partner. These are the things that you would like in yourself or value in yourself. If I'm not able to meet them, which is totally fine because that's how I am as a human, what are other ways that you can get that met? Like if you wanted someone that was crafty, (laughs) you can go to Hobby Lobby (laughs) and meet some friends, you know, and they, and they would, and then you have deeper relationships and they're like, oh yeah, we're crafting together. (laughs) That's not going to meet me and Dr. Jess, right? (laughs) I I like that. I said, uh, I'm into crafts. Sure. I'm into crafts, but I'm not into fixing things, not around the house. Dude, I've never seen you do a craft and you draw at like a, a level of a six-year-old. I think you're, you're you're not being very nice to six-year-olds right now. I do not draw well at all. So no, I, go, I should go fix things. So I'll be out at the wine cellar and people are like, where's Brandon? He's at Hobby Lobby with his new friends. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have Hobby Lobby in Canada, but we have a version of it. We've got Michael's. He's out at Michael's getting his dried flowers on. <laughs> right. Like, because my sisters and mom are all about that. Like when my son has a birthday party they're like knees deep and decorative things and I'm like just I want to just show up right my mom was like that too I mean the level of craft personship in my mother's little fingers she's incredible and so right but it's weird that I don't think of it as gendered even though I'm trying to think if my parents played strict kind of along the gender lines so the truth is I feel my mom just did everything Like my dad did stuff like my dad did do vacuuming and he did do the laundry, but it was more that my mom kind of got him to do it. So there was a heavy amount of emotional labor. Yeah. And if I put together my list, a big part that would come out on the female side would be people pleasing and emotional Mm -hmm. labor. And I think about the things that I pay lots of money and time for therapy (laughs) to deal with. And it's those things and they are tied to gender. And I want to get to how this plays out in the bedroom around sex, but let me let you finish your list. So you're going to write down what you've been taught. You're going to laugh through it and you're going to circle your list for both genders. Then you said you're going to explore other ways of getting or experiencing the things that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. If your partner is unable to offer them, that's a hard step for a lot of people because they say like, oh, communication is the key to a a happy relationship. I think it's like acceptance and flexibility. Acceptance and flexibility and being open to other people in your lives who can meet certain needs that your partner is not going to be able to meet and realizing that your partner is not designed to meet your every need. Oh, that, that's a big one. And and so what do we do after that? Like if we work through that, which I think is a long mm-hmm. step, it's not like we've done this no. and it's been 10 minutes. What you are the next set up steps? Those, yeah, you got to set up those periodic dates to check in on these, depending on how life is moving for you. So it might be quarterly, it might be semi-annually, but just check in, like how are things feeling now that you've started to explore these other aspects of your gender that you hadn't had the chance to explore before? How are these things that you're working with other people to afford you? Like what, what does that look like for you six months later? And then evaluate like, you know, I thought I wanted this, but I was just joking. I don't like it. <laughs> I hate <laughs> lifting. Yeah, you know, know like know and for the, crafts. you know, for the yeah, like men work and they have to work hard. And it's like, you know, you, you did all that for six months and now you're burnt out. And so I don't actually like the way that looks on us. Can we reevaluate this piece? Perhaps the most important step in any program, right? With I think that oftentimes couples think one and done. Like I went to therapy and now I'm done. I went to a workshop. We had that conversation, but no conversation is going to produce the same results 
today versus six months from now versus six years from now. So that reevaluating makes so much sense to me. Especially if you're evolving as a couple. So you said y'all been together for 20 years. My husband and I are at seven and we're now in the place where we're like, okay, what is marriage? What, okay, what do we want it to be now? And it's a conversation that's going to be ongoing. Absolutely. And you say you should just set periodic dates to check in on these, depending on how life is moving. Like it might be that it's once a year. It might be once a month, really, I'm sure, depending on the couple. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So if you're in a spot where you need to check in more, maybe you're trying some things that are really exciting for you and you just want somebody to process it with, or you're trying some things that feel really hard for you and you need accountability and support around it, it might be more monthly. But if it's something that feels like you've always wanted to do do this, it has a bit more ease in it, then you can have more space between the check-ins. And you might just be really busy and so you got to schedule it. Right. And I mean, you can prioritize your relationship without prioritizing every possible exercise you could be doing Mm -hmm. together. Now I want to talk about sex because this gender fluidity, bending gender, addressing some of the expectations must help to erode away at the shame we carry. And so I'm thinking about how have you seen this practically pay off in the bedroom? So initiating would be one. I'm curious if it pays off in terms of more broad and kinky explorations like dominance Mm -hmm. and submission. Is that something you've seen? Absolutely. So I think your sexual self-awareness increases when your gender awareness increases and your gender flexibility is more open. So you may maintain the same behaviors, but now that you have more openness around them, then you know how deep it can go and how much you can play with it. And that can get into kink or power play or BDSM. It's like, you know, okay, we're going to go full throttle with this initiation thing now because I actually do like it when one person initiates, but let's make it a fun thing where it's like, I have to do this, 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 when you say, and at this point, you know, play around with the power dynamics of that. So you get to have more fun with it, I believe, when you're clear about what works well for you or when you're open to shifting what works well for you. Then that means you also get to say, in, in particular, those of us who identify as women and not doing as much emotional labor, like, hey, this is what I want. And I'm not holding your ego around this. I'm caring about you as a person, but I'm really clear about how this thing that you do that's a gender role turns me on or turns me off. Like I turn myself on when I see you relaxing and you're and you have more energy for me. And you know, I initiated and you received it well and you were, you know, like that that dynamic I think shifts a a bit. I'm sure it just must open up new conversations and we might be more willing to admit that we're into things. I think about how much gender holds us back in terms Mm -hmm. of talking about things with our partners. I get messages all the time around, well, I don't want to offend him. I think a lot of straight women do a lot of protection. I always think about like the bowling, the bowling lane bubbles, right? They're kind of building safety around their partner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's beautiful and kind to care about how your partner feels. I don't think you want to protect their feelings at the expense of your own. And I think that we don't say what we want. We don't speak up when something isn't working. I can see this leading to conversations also about fantasies, right? Opening up about stuff that maybe um, really, it's not just about gender. I mean, there's all the layers of the way our identities um, affect what we believe we're allowed to indulge in, what we give ourselves permission and what society gives us permission to embrace, but perhaps embracing and exploring roles that are 
incongruent with our lived lives. Like you talked about the person who has decision fatigue just wanting to be a sub when they get home. I think I think like everyone in sexuality yes. feels that way. I don't think there's a sexuality yes. professional who's not like, I'm a sub at some point in time. You might be a dom, yes. but you're like so many, um, somebody's going to come tell me I'm wrong. I know I didn't mean every one of us, but so right. many of us. A lot of this. <laughs> listen, we're in charge or we're not in charge, but we're supporting so many people's sexualities that we're just like, can somebody else just take care of? Help me. Help me. Yeah, you do it. I don't even care what you do. Like <laughs> it can be anything at all as long as I'm not deciding what it is. And it's probably, you know, similar. You know, you, I get these questions, especially from young people. How do I reconcile a role I want to play with mm-hmm. the fact that it doesn't align with my political identity or the values that are at the core of who I am? I appreciate that they're even asking that question because some of those political and some judo-christian like religious or you know like really narrow roles that we talk about they come from the politics like specific politics and specific identities around religion and we know for real for real that people who have those politics are playing with kink and gender and all of that all the time under non-disclosure acts so let's just like not pretend anymore and if you and they're, if they're asking those questions i really like that for them. i love that for them i would i'll back up a little bit and say so for me, when I think about the gender roles that I was taught, especially around like cooking and cleaning, those were feminized, right? And so my husband is a chef in our household. He's a chef by profession and he's and he's the person that cooks most of the meals for the house. That is that does it for me sexually. You know? So <laughs> I'm like, yes, that was part of the reason that we got together. You're making what kind of chicken? Oh. <laughs> Sounds so good. (laughs) All of a sudden, you got a whole lot more attractive. Right. And so I think that even in those nuances, like what kind of chores and labor and like what you do around the house can be made, not that it's for transactional for sex, but that it can contribute to the sexual landscape y'all get to experience as well. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I think about when we're when we're strict about things, or more importantly, when we're restrictive, when mm-hmm. something is denied to us, oftentimes there's an excitement, there's shame, and some people eroticize that. Not yeah. necessarily like sometimes in a positive way if you're able to be open mm-hmm. about it, but if it really is about deprivation. When you think about like Judeo-Christian, all of this stuff, um, and not to pick only on on one religion, but in so right. many areas, like so many cultures, when things are restrictive, we often turn to them as some sort of a relief, but that relief is shrouded in shame and secrecy. And so it doesn't feel fully whole or no. it, it's not the relief it could it's be. It's not satisfying in the way that it could be. Like it, if you think about it from this metaphor of like a binge purge cycle, that's what it feels like. It's like... I'm restricting, I'm restricting these sexual behaviors for as long as I possibly can. And then compulsively I binge on this thing and then I feel shame and guilt and there's temporary relief, but it's not full relief because of the shame. And then I kind of go back into the restriction for as long as I possibly can. I mean, we, we can all think of circumstances where we've either done that in our lives or we've had partners who have done that. And it's so dangerous, I guess the question would be, so how do we break that cycle? And I think if it's related to a specific role you play, and we've been specifically talking about gender, but it could be another role, you've given us this formula of looking at what are the messages do I subscribe to them? Are they really congruent with my values? And how am I going to have that need met? So it might be with a partner. It might be for single people as well. So I think this formula is super helpful. I really love anytime somebody asks me to write things down because <laughs> it just makes it a lot clearer for me. Yeah. Abs- and to put it on paper also feels like a weight off of your chest. Oh, yeah. 
right? There's this release where I'm sharing it, even if it's only with myself or even just with a with a partner or with a therapist. So I'm so thankful for this. I think it's so important around gender. I think about fantasy, role play, anything kinky, simple stuff like initiation, relational interactions every single day. If we don't start to break down gender, and to be clear, and I know that you're very clear about this, but I just want to reiterate it, it doesn't mean that you must reject all things traditionally feminine yes. if you are a woman or vice versa for men. It's really that we need to, I love that Brennan put it in the two columns and he was able to circle what he needed. And I, I understand that this is definitely along a binary. And so for folks who identify as non-binary, for folks who don't fall into the gender binary, I think there's still mm-hmm. value in whatever you see as your role, role within yes. a relationship or role within society or how you are perceived, uh, because there's still this notion of masculine and feminine and we see it across culture, right? I think about like very, very ancient Chinese culture um, or Indian culture. We still see it along this binary. And in those cultures, gender wasn't binary. It was just the masculine and the feminine. And so I think there's still something to be gained. So gender, gender queer and trans folks have so many gifts to offer us if we are willing to receive them about how to transgress gender and the ways that you can set yourself free and the people within your community free by deciding and not seeking the validation of people who want to hold you to these scripts. Yes, absolutely. And I I love when you're talking about freedom and liberation. And just one more quick plug, you host Fuck the System, a sexual liberation podcast, as well as, and this is so beautiful, How to Love a Human, a liberation podcast that asks people with multiple marginalized identities what the world would be like if it loved them. And wherever people sit, because I know, like, listen, we get feedback from people who love what we're saying. We get feedback from people who really hate what we're saying and especially- But they love it. Well, they're listening. They're You're listening. Here. Or people who give Brandon a hard time around gender for maybe for thinking, I've heard people say, well, he's just saying what he thinks he should say. I'm like, or he's done the work and is doing the work because we're always doing the work. But I think no matter where you kind of fit in that spectrum or the web or whatever you want to call it, don't we want humans to all be loved? Don't we believe that all humans are deserving of love and we all ought to be kind of working in the world to make that more possible because we're not there. No, we're not. We're far off. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your work, your podcast. We're going to put all the links in the show notes and people need to absolutely follow along. I should mention I've been following you for a long time on Instagram and I'm a long time admirer and fan. So it was great to chat with you. Same for you. Love your work. And I really really appreciate both of y'all for being here today. This made a lot, made a big difference in how we could have this conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, babe, you doing that list was uh, amazing. So appreciate that. And we're going to keep the conversation going and we hope folks will also, and we'll put the five steps in the show notes too, just in case you want to see a visual. Thank you again for being here. I love this topic. I love this conversation. I always said growing up that I was no good at gender because I feel like I was always bending it in some ways. And I know that, you know, I appear very feminine, which aligns with my gender. But I remember always screwing up gender. Like I wouldn't remember, I would tell my mom that somebody died and I'd be like, oh, it was her grandma. And then it was her grandpa or somebody has a baby and I can never for the life of me. Really? Remember, no, I never remember the gender of a baby. You gotta see the baby. (laughs) Unless I know the, like if I know the name and that makes it obvious, but I always forget the gender of a baby. And I, I wonder sometimes if it has to do with being bi, with being queer and seeing people a little bit differently. Like I don't look at, for example, women as like, allies who are my platonic friends versus men who are potential partners or that I don't feel more or less sexual energy mm-hmm. with any particular gender or mm-hmm. I don't feel a sense of camaraderie with 
a particular gender either. And I know for you, we've talked about how sometimes our gender roles are reversed in terms of what society expects. And that's not always the case. Like we have a lot of things that really do fall into, I guess, stereotypical gender roles. And I also don't want to reject that. Like I do all the cooking, do all the groceries. Yeah, thankfully you do, do all, all the cooking. It wouldn't be good. <laughs> gender or not, but, I'm not eating this guy's food. Like, I'm not <laughs> eating whatever you made. But no, I, I struggle with gender and gender roles, but I'm also trying to embrace it. I'm also trying to, you know, I recognize the power and uh, the freedom that comes with taking on, um, you know, more feminine roles or more feminine, you know, I guess characteristics like what like or, or elements maybe um, you know being more emotional over certain things like letting yourself feel the feels and I want to be around people that I that encourage me to feel those things and that don't judge me when I feel them because I think that it's an important part of who I am I mean I loved the exercise today that Dr. Candace suggested where you got to circle those elements on both lists and why they're important to you I think that's a really great conversation to have yeah absolutely and you know you talk about embracing being more emotional so it isn't that women are more emotional. It's that we've been yes. given more permission yes. to express our emotions because there are you. studies showing that when women and men are exposed to emotional stimuli, women will express more effusively their emotional response. But when they actually look at the brain reactions in the centers of the brain that they associate with emotional response, mm -hmm. they will see more response in men, which potentially speaks to the fact that men are stymied. And I'm yeah. thinking like, how hurtful is that to not be allowed to be sad, to not be have any space to express that you're heartbroken or that you're lonely or that you're in any way vulnerable. And I, I just think about human beings as human beings being needy of and so deserving of love. Like every single person is deserving of love. I think we maybe spoke about this really recently. And regardless of gender, like don't you want to sometimes be tender and sometimes be soft? And I know that you said in our relationship that you worry that because, you know, there's a lot about you that is stereotypically virile that I'm attracted to. And so when you show that softer side, but what's interesting to me is I'm attracted to all of it, to both of it, to, to when you show vulnerability, I all of a sudden feel so close to you and so almost viscerally drawn to you in my body. But also when you're tough, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, tough is manly and vulnerable is, is not manly or female, but mm -hmm. it's, or, you know, feminine. Yeah. It's just that that's what we've been taught and, and we're not immune to it. Right? Like, I know that I definitely feel pressure in terms of gender roles. I'm not like, oh, oh yeah, I've got it figured out. I'm more evolved. Not freaking at all. <laughs> not at all. But I just think it is so important as it pertains to relationships and as it pertains to sex because I would hate to not be able to share a fantasy or a desire with you because I felt restricted by what a good girl or a bad girl or a sexy girl or, a, you know, there's so much pressure on women to be everything these days. And same thing for you. I think about people who, for example, don't want their partner to use sex toys because there's this pressure around, well, then am I a good enough man? Is my dick good enough? When in fact, all of us can embrace all of those things if we just let go of gender a little. When you talk about stymieing and feeling, you know, how it, how it impacts, I do think about suppressing those feelings. But but how it impacts other aspects of my life. Mm. Because I do find that if I'm suppressing one place, it's gonna, it's kind of pushing it somewhere else. Mm. And um, huh. it, which I find, and again, this is just my experience, that it, it really affects me in, a, in another way. So it's like I might be suppressing my emotion because my dog passed away. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how does that manifest itself in some other aspect of my life? Do I get more, do I, am I more upset about something else? Am I angrier about something else? Because I can't let that feeling exist because of nor social norms mm -hmm. as to what I should or shouldn't be doing. And, you know, you also talked really quickly about, you know, exploring and new opportunities. And because, you know, you're, 
you're a good girl, you're a bad girl, you're whatever it is. I love the idea that when you start embracing these new ideas, that other opportunities present themselves, like things that you hadn't thought of before. And and then when it relates to sex, like the pleasure that can exist by embracing something that you were unwilling to before. And all of a sudden you're down this new rabbit hole of some amazing new experience, right? Yeah, some really important points there, especially around suppression of emotions showing up in a different way. Yeah. Right? When we don't grieve, absolutely. It can erupt as anger. Yeah. It can erupt as shame. It can erupt as so many different feelings. And then you can't figure out the source of it. No, oh, and then you're spending, and then you're just more time in therapy. <laughs> more, time, <laughs> more time, more money. More time in therapy. Absolutely. Okay, this is a big conversation. I'm glad that we're having it. Uh, again, I just want to acknowledge that we absolutely don't have it figured out. I think that, you know, we can defy gender norms and also feel huge huge amounts of pressure around gender norms. And I'm sure that is holding us back sexually too. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see the ways in which we can discover new stuff together simply using this uh, this five-step exercise. Yeah, so we're going to pen it in. We're going to stick it in the show notes. Uh, thanks for chatting, babe. Thank you. And, and thank you, Dr. Candice. Thank you for being here. We are still running a sale just for podcast listeners at happiercouples.com. If you are interested in the mindful sex course, the mind-blowing oral course, or the last longer in bed pre- to six steps to Deal with premature ejaculation at happiercouples.com code podcast. Thank you wherever you're at. I hope you have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.